Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Um, have you just been doing your Duolingo? Is this true that you're learning Russian on Duolingo? If so, how long's your streak? Okay, I, I've long ago sort of given up on streaks. But when I do compete, I'm quite high up there, you know. I don't know, I'm sort of number, <laughs> I'm number eight or something out of 25 or, you know, I'm doing okay. Okay, but, I'm But, um, you know, the difference is getting it all right on Duolingo and having a conversation with a real live Russian, which I'm not sort of in a position to do at the moment, as you can imagine. Do, ha, have you got any Russian friends who are here that you could talk to? I should. The very sad truth is I started learning this when I was doing a Chekhov play in London. And I, and I went to Russia because I wanted to sort of soak up the atmosphere. It was an excuse to travel, really. And um, I started learning then. And that was ages ago. I mean, I should be very fluent by now if I'd kept it up. But I asked to meet a Russian teacher in London. And I stayed friends with him, even though we didn't, we couldn't manage lessons for very long, because various reasons. We live in such different parts of the country. But he died this year. Oh, I'm so sorry. It wasn't unexpected. But, you know, it's like... The incentive has slightly wilted, and I, I, oh, and, I'm sorry. But you know, I, this is not just in order to communicate with Russians and read Russian literature. This is to stop me getting Alzheimer's, really. Oh, you know, it's really that. That's one of the things, as they say, doing all the brain training and learning a new language. And every time I try, because I love Italian, and I've always wanted to be able. I can speak it when I'm there in a restaurant, but that's it. Not. Not actually having conversations, and I was. You can order a bolognese. Yes, exactly, and and two fizzy waters, so <laughs> rock and roll. Um, but I just everyone says that it's really important to learn a new language because it's good for our brains. Just keep them switched on. You think of all the different paths your brain's got to relearn, and and also what I look because I've always been a bit of a linguist. It's been my strong suit at school and all of that. Um, and I had languages spoken all around me as a kid, which is a big advantage. So the notion of saying what you're thinking in, in a completely different way was planted very early on in my brain. 
as a growing child. And I think that's, that's people, children who are bilingual have a huge advantage, not just because they can get on in that country, but because they have, they know about the flexibility of the way you think, because the way you construct a sentence is different in a different language, so you think differently. It, it's, subtle, it's, subtle, it's subtle, but it, but it's huge. I'm so annoyed. My mother was a linguist, and um, I wish that I, I just kept saying, no, I don't want to. She could speak six languages fluently. I wish I'd listened to her. You know, she's been dead many years. I wish she's up there now laughing, saying, you see, you should have listened yeah. to me. The things we should have listened to our parents about, yawn, yawn, yes. Maybe um, we won't go there. <laughs> <laughs> but I've got, a friend who's, I've got a friend whose brother married a French woman and they live in France, but he refuses to let his children learn English. And I think that's incredibly selfish. Really? What? Why is that? I can't think why. I mean... You know, English is one of the, the most spoken languages in the world. I really don't know what that's about. But anyway, uh, the more you can learn when you're young. I wish I'd learnt Russian when I was young and my brain didn't keep interfering, saying, why the hell does it go like that? And what a stupid word? And how am I supposed to learn that? You know, <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, it's so interesting. To, it, I, I wasn't going to start talking about this, but I think we should because you're talking about learning. And um, uh, the Coram Shakespeare Schools Foundation that we have spoken about before, it's learning at a young age, something like languages, like Shakespeare, is vital. And just the idea of bringing Shakespeare into schools, I just think is so important. When we spoke about it before, I went home and I discussed it with my kids. And they just said, and they were lucky enough to have been taught Shakespeare very young. And they just said, they, it's, they love it. And to hear young people saying that is fantastic. I completely agree. And, and I know the RSC are doing all sorts of outreach programs with schools teaming up in schools all over the country. They've got a program that with their education department. And, you know, they showed me a little video the other day and the kids are going, I just love having something a bit difficult to learn. And, you know, the thing is, when we're kids, it's absolutely taken as read that we're going to spend a lot of our days learning new stuff. That's what we do at school. That's what we do. That's what the, the human brain does from the minute it's born. It tries to absorb information and understand what's going on around it. And when we get older, we start to question those things. We start to sort of be picky about what we, uh, you know, associations we attach with things. We go, Shakespeare's for posh people. We're not going to do that. You know, when you're young, you just go, this is a, an exciting story. The words are a bit quirky and odd, but I'll get to learn them. And, you know, I can have a have a go. And that's what the Shakespeare School Festival and the RSC now and lots of places now are saying, you know, don't sit them down in a classroom with an iPad, get them up and running and saying the words themselves. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. When, when were you first introduced to Shakespeare then? Well, having said that, I'm a total latecomer. <laughs> um, I think we read it round the class when I was sort of eight or nine. We read Macbeth or Julius Caesar or one of those things. Um, and we sort of read them round the class. And, of course, you're listening to your neighbour who's also eight years old or nine years old and can't read it properly, and so you don't understand it, and you sound just as bad as they do, and it moves on round the class and you haven't a clue what it's about. Um, I quite like Hubble Bubble Toil and Trouble because it sounded good, but you know, <laughs> otherwise, I don't think I came away with very much. Um, so that's down to the teaching and the and the sort of classic in my age group way of teaching was to sit you down in a classroom, which then it becomes literature. And Shakespeare wrote plays; he didn't write literature. 
Um, so I didn't come to it until I started to long to act. And at drama school, I remember this teacher going on and on and on at this one speech I had to do. In we only did Shakespeare for one term. But she went on and on and on. The other kids in the class were going, oh, I'm going off to get a cup of tea. And I was going, give me more, give me more, give me more. Yes, and I've got to do that, and I've got to do that. Oh, I see. And then I've got to keep the rhythm going. Oh, and I've got to imagine I'm that. Oh, yeah, OK. And I've got to pronounce the, uh, yeah, yeah. And I just loved all the challenges that it brought. And I thought, this is what I came in for. You know, I love a challenge. But everyone else was going, mm, no, I'd rather do, you know, EastEnders. <laughs> I'm slightly putting them down. It's not quite true. But I remember just looking back, I thought, oh, this is great stuff. So you said that when you longed to be an actor. So when did that longing start? Well, I think very early on, actually, I decided I wanted to act. Like about nine or ten. Those very formative years, aren't they? I keep mentioning yeah. nine and ten. But, uh, yeah, it was... Um, and, you know, I'm sure I could go on a psychiatrist's couch and figure out why. I mean, my sister had just gone to boarding school. I was on my own. I did a lot of sort of... Uh, long walks playing on my own and um, making stories up and um, and then there was Hayley Mills for my generation Hayley Mills was a sort of huge factor because <laughs> here was a child who was famous here was a child who got to be in all sorts of adventures and um, you know and take on the grown-ups and be as important if not more important than the grown-ups so I think it was just, at the, in the early stages, it was about that. It was about escaping and um, getting into adventures and other stories and also um, being important, being the centre of the story. You know, which, that makes total sense. Yeah. And it's very interesting, though, that all the interviews that, that I've read and, and in my research and um, before chatting to you before as well, that everybody tries to link it to your uncle. And I love that you always say, no, he was an actor, but it was it was about something I felt. And it's weird how people want to always, if you you do whatever you do, they always want to go, oh, I know. There's a, Everybody tries to be a sort of, you know, sit there and take you through, be a psychologist. I know the reason. But I love your reason. It's nothing to do with any of that. This is because you were out there picturing yourself as Hayley Mills and imagining that fabulous <laughs> world that you could see on film and on TV. I mean, it, it made a difference in that um, I've actually just finished reading my uncle's autobiography because I had to do an interview about him not so long ago and I thought I'd better bone up on his life, you know. <laughs> and um, it, I found a lot in common, but it was sort of in retrospect, and, and sadly he's gone. So, I mean, we did have lots of conversations in later life about, you know, fellow actors and jobs we liked and jobs we didn't like and things like that. But um, when I was growing up and young, he was off, you know, making films all around the world, and I didn't see that much of him. When we did see him, he was a very exotic figure. But... Um, <laughs> I think what, what comes over when I read the book is how, first of all, there were elements in the family that I was fighting and he was fighting, which were to do with a certain sort of, um, I don't know, sort of narrow, upper-middle-class social world mm. um, uh, that, that we were both trying to sort of, I suppose, break out of. Um, and secondly, you know, so, so any snobbery about him going into that profession... 
had been worked through by him and it paved the way for me. It meant my grandmother didn't have a heart attack when I said I wanted to act because she'd already had one when her son said he wanted to act. I think that helped a bit. Um, and no, that interested me to read all that and sort of realise how much we had in common in a funny way. The big difference was that he'd been through the war as a very young man. So he, he you know, every time he was pretending to, you know, there was blood and guts, he thought, I've seen the real thing and this is make-believe. Whereas I tend to take my work very seriously. Uh, he didn't take it that seriously. He thought, this is a great way of life. I'm seeing the world, I'm meeting loads of people, I'm getting to play golf, which is all I really want to do. And, um, <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I've, I've taken it much more seriously in a way and gone into the theatre and done Shakespeare and the classics and all that. Um, which he once told me he rather envied me because he came to see me at the RSC when I was about 30 and he stood on the stage and he said, oh, my God, I wish I'd done this, you know. Really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's fascinating. I, I'm, I'm sort of... Quite, I, I can't imagine what it must be like to read the autobiography of your uncle and to learn things about him now as an adult. That, that must be quite extraordinary. Things that you didn't know. It really was. And, yeah, and I just wished I'd talked to him about those things when he was alive. Although the, the funny thing is that, that the other thing about that sort of... I mean, I'm painting my background as very stiff and horrible. It wasn't. It's just that what you absolutely did not do was look inside your head. Yeah. You, know, yes. you did not introspect. And you also rarely emoted. So, of course, those two things... <laughs> You know, if you've got that temperament, which he obviously did and I have, you, you just, you, you feel very repressed. Um, and so I, I kind of wanted to make that link with him. But because he's a man of a certain age and grew up in that world, whether or not he liked it, he also wouldn't dream of going into some psychological yes. depth. You know, he, he wouldn't have wanted to do that. So we kept chat nice and easy and, um, you know, we, we just didn't go there. But w when I'm thinking about it now, I just wish I could have said, hey, do you think because your mother, my grandmother was That's blah, blah, fascinating. Blah, blah. But you you're, know. I mean, you're, the, the areas that you've gone into, you know, Hammer House, I suppose that's what he's most famous for. But you, though, the, and, and we started talking about Shakespeare and I've seen you on stage in Shakespeare. I, I remember seeing you where it was the role reversal and um, that, oh, that was incredible, playing the women, playing the men's roles. Was that about 15 years ago? It was 2012 to 2017, five years between 2012 and 2017. Just incredible. But, and, I, and it didn't play with my mind at all. It absolutely made sense. And it was, it was very liberating. I, I took... My my elder daughter, um, who's uh, went studied theatre, she's twenty one, but I, so she was very young, and I took her to it, and she found it incredible. I mean, I still to this day, and I've seen you in so many things. Well, we'll talk about other things, but that one, I don't know, it played on my mind in a most beautiful way. I can't think of another way of putting it. Well, that's so good to hear, and of course, it went down incredibly well um, even though there was a lot of prejudice before we did mm. it when people came and saw it they kind of dropped some of their objections which was great to see that and you know the first barrier when we first did it in 2012 or 2013 we did Julius Caesar that's what I saw and that yes. yeah okay well uh, 
as you know, we got such good reactions from that that we felt inclined to do more, and we did two other plays, and made it a trilogy. But I remember, sort of, before we started, there was so much male paranoia about, you know, where we going to steal their jobs, <laughs> and it was even written in the papers, you know, poor men, they're going to, you oh. know, and you thought, <laughs> wait a minute, you know, we'd have to do this many, many, many times over to. Um, equalize you know it's not going to happen don't worry your jobs are safe um <laughs> but it was it what was great was that i think in in all same sex versions so you're all female or all male uh the audience does start to it pretty quickly forget the gender of the, the actor and just thinks of the gender of the character if you mix them within the play i think you've got to have very good reasons for doing that because i think the audience gets a bit muddled you know, if you have a, a male Juliet and a female nurse and a male friar and a female Capulet, you know, it's, it's sort of odd. So um, I think that the, 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 one of the purposes of all, all female, apart from balancing up the, um, you know, the, the, the gender balance of actors, was, um, you know, to make people hear the play properly yes. and, not, and not worry about what was getting in the way. I, I, well, I absolutely loved it. I remember studying uh, Julius Caesar for my, they weren't called GCSEs in my day, but for GCSE and and always if wanting to be, I wanted to be Brutus. And there it was happening. I, it are. was fantastic. I, it was fantastic. Um, so if we may, let's, let's talk about uh, the most recent stuff and two of the biggest shows that that everybody's talking about actually and the crown as well and and so many other things but ted lasso that we spoke about before and and succession the finale the penultimate and the finale of succession i was screaming at the screen and you told me i would and i did success uh, uh, ted lasso i cried so um let's talk about succession first uh just beautiful the writing the direction the characters it was oh wow it was superb was it did you feel that when you were in it it's such a strange thing because I, I obviously when I came back into different seasons I knew that it was a big hit and I knew that it was wonderful because I'd watched it myself as a viewer so of, yes I was aware that it was a great thing. But I think right from the very beginning, I got sent the pilot, which they'd completed, just episode one of season one, and that was all they'd filmed. And I watched it and I thought, and I said, actually, I said to my husband, why can't we Brits write like that? Because I thought it was <laughs> Americans. Yes. And then I found out all the writers were Brits. So it wasn't so much about the, the talent of the writers, I mean, it is, but 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 it's also the the time that's dedicated to the writers and the the whole system of a writer's room and all that, which now the Brits have adopted much more. You know, it is the way these long ongoing seasons happen. But um, you know, it's just wonderful to have that time that they and that investment in the writing because it's always the case. Any actor will tell you that, you know, the writing is the whole thing, you know. I mean, even if you improvise within it, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's there and it's the structure and it's the whole, it gives you everything. Oh, it's just, and, and 
became, I think as a family, we became incredibly invested in in that series. And I miss it. I, I, I It's extraordinary how I can miss a, a, a TV show, but we do. <laughs> we actually, oh no, is it really over? No. Team Roman all the way. Sorry, Team Roman. Yeah. Uh, he's adorable. He's probably my favourite child. Don't tell anybody. But... <laughs> I love that. But I love them all and I love the mix. And I think if you had non-stop Roman or non-stop Kendall or non-stop Shiv in, in their own show, you you know, it would be different. It's the fact that there are these three different chemistries when they clash, when they come together, when they split apart, when they team up two against one. All those dynamics are what make it so fascinating and God knows why we feel some kind of pathos for them. I know. But, we do. It's, but it's, it's very Shakespearean. The way it's all done, it was it is. very Shakespearean. Uh, if I may then go to, to Ted Lasso. Um, uh, just that, I can't believe we, I am properly cried. It was, it's beautiful. The whole philosophy behind it, the whole thing about it. And it's made... Such a star of lovely Hannah, who I know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Your gosh. your daughter in the show. My daughter. And I've known Hannah for for many years. And um, what? That's just a lot. It was the sort of antithesis to Succession in many ways. Succession was about bad, and Ted Lasso was about good. Uh, I know it's not quite as simple as that, but it Ted Lasso is just joyful. I think it's uh, happy endings versus sad endings, isn't it? I mean, I think. Um, you know, it's very brave of Jason Stakis and team to write something with happy endings. Yes. At this time of history, because Don't we need that. Though? They could easily we'd need it, but there are a lot of people out there who are going to go, yeah, yeah, doesn't happen like that. You know, but what he's doing is saying, well, why not? You know, why not? Maybe I could reconnect with my wife. Maybe I could. Uh, maybe the team could win. Maybe there could be um, reconciliation between. There's always got to be somebody like uh, Rupert. You know, there's always got to be somebody who takes on the sort of the badass. Yeah, you know, good. You can't it not that you can't tie everything up. No. And you know, getting back to Shakespeare, Twelfth Night. There's always Malvolio who's still <laughs> still a baddie. Everybody's happy ending, but he's still you know goes We're, off rather unhappily. It, the the that's the crux of everything. Always take it back to Shakespeare, and you know it's going to work perfectly. Uh, but you've done, I mean, some extraordinary things. Also, Killing Eve. I mean, we're talking and The Crown, as I mentioned. Um, I, I, massive worldwide TV hits, and I. But I've read that you felt that that was never going to happen because other people were handling their careers differently than you were. But surely it was always going to happen for you. I don't know. I think everybody's individual career is different and also a mystery to them themselves, actually. <laughs> unless you're terribly, you know, unless you're Tom Cruise and you've got real clout and you can say, I want to do this, I want to do that, I'm going to do the other. Um, and to get to that place, you've got to have bags of talent, but also you've got to have a certain business acumen. You've got to have a certain sort of clued upness about the profession. And I've never had that 
latter quality I've never really been really? clued up so I depend hugely on agents and hearsay and other people's opinions and I just go oh I've got this nice job let's do it <laughs> um, so I mean there are various things that all actors will tell you which are difficult ne to negotiate um, for women there's the difficulty of age yeah that you know that you get you, it's quite hard to move from age group to age group as you get older and there are fewer parts and or less rounded parts and so to keep in the game as a woman is is harder than for a man and the other thing that's hard to negotiate is the balance of film and tv versus theater because if you're doing a lot of theater you're not free to do film and tv and if you're doing a lot of film and tv you're not free to do theater so it's very hard to combine the two things and you have to be a bit strategic about it and say, well, look, I really want to do some films, so I'm going to have to turn down every theatre offer I get for the next year. And then maybe nothing shows up. So I did keep getting wonderful things in the theatre, and I don't regret that at all, because it certainly, you know, grew me up, made me more confident, and also saw me through those 40s and 50s. You know, I was playing... Shakespearean heroines who were supposed to be 30 when I was 50 because it doesn't really matter on stage that, that you know if you've got a few lines um, but then suddenly I thought actually I've done so much in the theatre where do I go now and I have always intermittently done TV you know and there have been times even when I was younger when I did a whole series and take the lead um, but it hadn't happened for a while and I thought maybe I want to do that and then suddenly all this really great work came my way. And I don't know if it came my way partly because I'd built a reputation in the theatre or just because I was available suddenly. But whatever happened, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you know, I, I, think, I think it's more to just the fact you were available, Harry. I really do. I think there's more to it. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. But, but... Uh, you, if we can go back on ageism, I don't want to talk about it too much because I feel that every it becomes the sort of the headline of everything for 
us women. And every time anyone interviews me, they always talk to me about my age and they never talk to a man about their age. Yeah. Ever. Exactly. You've made your point. But I think the fact that we're in my job, you know, if I was a painter, I could paint at any age. Yeah. If I was a pianist, I could play, you know, sports, sportsmen and athletes and, and, and dancers, people like that, you know, they have a real age limit on their, on their careers, uh, which I would hate, but at least you know it from the beginning. Um, we don't really have an age limit on our career. I mean, the uncle was working till he was 93. Um, so, you know, you, you have that ahead of you. But at the same time, I think for what I feel for a woman is more that the roles are always, or pretty much always, based around a man so you're a wife a mother a daughter or a girlfriend or, yeah you know you're you're in relation to a man so the man this this is historical we're hoping things are changing but there is still this going on so that the man can be whatever age he is and then you'll go up for the job to play his wife and they'll say you're a bit old for his wife or a bit young for his wife do you see what I mean? Rather than Absolutely. you're right you're right for the part you know so it, it's it's irritating more than irritating yeah, and, and uh, let's just leave it at that because then we don't yeah. get uh, too obsessed. <laughs> we with won't get into whole... it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, this is a very strange question, but I want to ask it about finding out that you were going to be a dame. How did, what happened? How, did you get a letter that said, Dear Harriet, you will forevermore be now a dame. Did you have to accept it? How did it go? But was it an easy thing? Did you think, I'm going to be, I, I just sort of want that. And looking at it through a little girl's eyes, what was that moment like? <laughs> well, I, I'd already got a CBE, which yeah. is a sort of step down from that. So I got over the shock of who, me? You know, I'd got over that. Um, and I also slightly knew the routine, which is they write you a letter saying, it's come to our notice that we would like to... Um, do you object? Would you accept it? Because what they don't want is for you to turn it down the night before the ceremony, or the night before the announcement. So they give you sort of two or three months to think about it. And CBE was absolutely no-brainer. Yeah, sure, great. My mother was alive. It would, you know, she'd be so proud. Um, some of my fellow actors were getting them, and I thought, yeah, you know, extraordinary as it seems that we've become that generation. Okay, lovely. It's a recognition. Dame is different because it actually changes your title. And I thought, oh, God, it's a bit, it's a bit, uh, you know. And I was quite nervous about it. So what happened again? I got the letter. In fact, I got a call from my agent saying they'd received the letter. And I was driving along a country road, you know. Um, <laughs> and so I got out, went for a walk. I was with a friend. I thought, this is a bit surreal. And um, I'd, I'd had a few people saying, well, you know, if you're a CBE, the next step up is a dame, that'll happen. And I was going, no, 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 no. But it, so it, the, the idea had slightly been planted. It wasn't a complete out of the blue. But at the same time, I'd rehearsed turning it down because I thought that was the noble thing to do. <laughs> I thought, you know, I don't like, you know, here am I, somebody who preaches equality and, you know, um, <laughs> I, you know, I shouldn't sort of accept this, you know. And uh, so I thought about that. And then I thought, sorry to get back to the women question again, but I thought, look, every, every actor of my generation or a bit older has accepted a knighthood. So, and there are very few who'd accepted a damehood at that point. Um, there are more now. Uh, and I thought, do you know what? The reason there aren't so many dames is because they don't have such long careers. 
and that's all wrong. So I should take it and get out there. And um, I did. And I'm pleased to see that lots of other people have become dames since. And also, yeah, I mean, it's not something I can swing about or use oh, on a that's daily what basis. I want, <laughs> that's exactly what I wanted to know. Do you go to a restaurant, do you book in the name of... Oh, you don't? Oh. Well, I, very occasionally. I'll tell you what. If it's, if it's a charity or a letter to the government or... Um, I don't know, something that might need that clout, I will always use it. Um, it's on one of my bank cards and not the other. Because I think <laughs> <laughs> I think if people think that I'm a dame, you know, people don't really know what a dame is and they, they say things like, are you in the House of Lords? And I go, no, no, that's a baroness. But um, so so I've got one card that says in case, you know, if, if, if somebody thinks, oh, she's <laughs> she must be rich if she's a dame. And you go, no, hang on. Um, so the, but also it causes all sorts of nightmares on on most websites because you know they have a drop down menu saying what's your title and they practically never have dame on there. I love that. Yeah, and if you sometimes so I go okay if I want people to know I'm a dame like as I said if it's a, a letter to the government or something like that, um, it'll say first name and I'll put Dame Harriet. Oh, and then, and then you go to the airport they say you're not here. I say look under D. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's what and what does your husband I mean you know I hope he calls you know while he while he helps you around the house I think that, may, that might have been him doing your microphone you know does he say see you later Dame Harriet please say that your husband walks around doing that people call him Sir Guy because <laughs> they think it's unfair that I should have a and not him he will forever be Sir Guy then to us. That's well. good, good. Um, uh, Harriet, it's just so joyful to speak to you. I, I, I'm, what I get, that another thing that I read is that you like to just, you escape to your house. You don't like entertaining too much. You like to just be quiet. You don't like small talk. And I love people like that. You just get on with it. And were you always like that? I can imagine you always being like that as a child. Were you like that? Well, well, there's a correction here. I do like small talk. Oh, you do? <laughs> yeah. I'm a sort of curious mixture because I'm very gregarious. I'm very FOMO. Um, and I think because I get such energy out there, I need to, to pull the, sh the door shut and go in oh, and keep right, quiet. Okay. I don't think I sort of hate company and therefore go home. It's the opposite. It's because oh, I get I can, that. Yeah. I can run myself down running around going to everything that I'm asked to and yabbering you know, I can talk for England. Um, and I love small talk because I find people who don't do small talk very difficult. You know, if you can't sort of grease the social wheels with a bit of silly chit-chat, I, I, you know, I get completely, oh, God, this person wants to talk about <laughs> Proust. <laughs> you know. So, yeah, no. But, but what I mean is, yes, I'm not very good. I, I am quite private. I'm a sort of mixture of very gregarious, but also I love privacy. So that makes uh, complete yeah. sense to me. I absolutely get it. Um, thank you so much for joining me on this. It's it's each time I've, I've now spoken to you, I, I come away smiling and you do do that. And I and I love your your acting. I mean, that's what I mean about coming away smiling. I, I'm a I'm a, a fan. So there we go. I'm just being honest. I am a fan. Thank you, Gabby. And now on this uh, podcast, I always ask what pe uh, what makes people belly laugh. And you do have that glint. Look, you're doing it now. People can't see. You have that glint. And I could just see you thinking. Um, uh, what makes you properly belly laugh? Oh, God. Um, 
so much. I so love that. Much. That's the best answer. I, d- I don't know. I'm just, uh, I am quite a giggler, really, and a laugher. Um, physical comedy makes me belly laugh. But... Um, People falling over, then? Are you talking but, about yeah, slapstick? Yeah, but, yeah, that makes me laugh, but not... Um, I don't like that thing where people send in videos of their cat being caught in a trap or, you know, a kid falling into a swimming pool. I hate those because I think they're a bit, you know, they're a bit violent. <laughs> but but um, I love ridiculous things. I've got a very silly sense of humour, I think. Um, and Are you I naughty on set? Of, yes, yeah. absolutely. I spend a lot of time laughing, actually. Um it, it as, as everything you know I've just talked about the, the contrast between being social and being private I can be very serious and very het up but I also can be extremely silly all within the space of 10 minutes so um what makes me belly laugh what would make me belly laugh as if I suddenly fell off this chair <laughs> that would make <laughs> me laugh a lot as well so please don't do it because then I couldn't say anything else. Uh, Harriet Walter, thank you very, very much. An absolute thank pleasure you. to speak to you again. Thank you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.